Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. Because of events that's happened recently, I'm going to be speaking this morning on Satan's attack on Israel. It's going to be a different message than I normally preach, and I want you to listen carefully, and uh, we're going to try to put some facts together to make things more understandable what's going on. But uh, Revelation chapter 16, uh, begin reading, follow with me as, as I read, verse, beginning in verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the, the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world, and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great God day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed he is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, that we have answers to the things that are going on. We thank you, Lord, that you give us instruction concerning what's coming. And I pray that you might help us to understand today from the word of God that uh, you have a people, a special people called Israel. Uh, they have a purpose, a plan. They've fulfilled part of that plan, but there's much more yet to go. And Lord, I know that you have a future for them. And I just ask that you might give us understanding about this issue today. And I pray that you might guide us and help us to realize that Satan is behind all of this. But also we need to realize that he's behind trying to get someone not to trust Jesus as their Savior. And if anybody here has not trusted the Lord, may they understand his deception and may they flee to Christ today before it's too late. Give them enablement to bring the message, and we'll thank you for what you accomplish. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On Saturday, October the 7th, Hamas instituted a massive attack on the nation Israel. Over 4,000 jihadist rockets were fired into Israel, overwhelming Israel's Iron Dome defense so that many rockets actually landed inside Israel. In addition to the rockets, a multitude of Hamas fighters came into the towns and villages of Israel, murdering innocent citizens. Women were raped, babies, young children, teens, adults, and senior citizens were brutally murdered, and many, many even beheaded, even little babies. Hostages were taken with a threat that they would later be executed. Israel has, has since declared war on Hamas, and the Israel-Hamas war is now underway. Thousands have died, which includes 27 Americans. The actions of Hamas are, Hamas are driven by hatred, hatred of Jews. They're not fighting for land. They're not fighting because they were attacked. They're not fighting so that Israel will listen to their demands. 
No, they're fighting because they hate all Jews and will not be content until the nation of Israel no longer exists. They believe the only good Jew is really a dead Jew. They have the mindset of Hitler, who murdered six million Jews. Now, you would think that people in this civilized world would be united in condemning Hamas. At least you would think that people in America would be united in condemning Hamas. But such is not the case. All across the world, there are groups who stand in support of Hamas and in opposition to Israel. All across the United States, in major cities and in many universities, there have been demonstrations favoring Hamas and condemning Israel. This brings us to the question, why? Some try to justify this by talking about the plight of the Palestinian refugees. Well, let's review some history. First of all, you know that World War II happened from 1939 to 1945. During that time, uh, Hitler was massacring all those Jews. And of course, uh, the Jewish population across the world had a desire to leave those places and come back to the land of Israel. And many did. On November the 29th, 1947, the UN General Assembly approved partitioning of Palestine into two divisions, one Arab state and one Jewish state. Jerusalem was to be under international rule. The Jewish people accepted this UN decision. The Arab nations rejected it and promised it would lead to war. They tried to prevent the state of Israel from being established. And thousands of Arabs left the region of neighbor, to, to go to neighboring uh, Arab nations because they could sort of sense what was coming. As the time approached when Britain would cease its rule of Palestine, and Palestine was not a nation, by the way, it was an area, and they would cease their rule of that area on May the 15th, 1948. Arab nations encouraged more Arabs to continue to leave uh, that area of Palestine and go into the Arab nations temporarily until they could come in and destroy Israel. They, plant, they planned to destroy the new state of Israel and drive it into the sea. Then the Arabs who left the region could return and populate and possess that land. The Jews encouraged those who were in that area in, in the, what was going to be the new state of Israel. They encouraged them to stay in Israel and maintain their businesses and their homes and their way of life. And around 150,000 of those Arabs stayed in the land of, of Israel. They became full citizens with the same rights and privileges of Jewish citizens and the same exists today. Many Arabs are living in Israel. Many are involved in the government of Israel. They are e treated equally as the others in, as citizenship. There has been estimated that between 430,000 and 650,000 Arabs left Israel at that time before Israel established itself as a state. And then on May the 
1948, one day before the British rule would end, the nation of Israel declared itself a nation, the state of Israel. And they were glad to be that and given the right to be that by the UN. The day after, one day after they did that, the Arab nations who had been planning this attacked Israel. Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and many soldiers from Saudi Arabia, Arabia joined in the attack. In Cairo, the Secretary General of the Arab League boasted that this would be the worst massacre in years and would be talked about for years to come in history. Well, it didn't quite turn out the way the Arabs thought. That little state that was just one day old actually defeated the enemy. It gained control of the western half of Jerusalem, but Jordan maintained control of the eastern half, which was the old part of Jerusalem, which included the Temple Mount. Now the Arab nations were faced with a problem. What were they to do with all the Arabs they had encouraged to leave the land of Palestine, which is uh, now uh, Israel, and uh, what were they going to do with all those, those Arabs they encouraged to come to their nations? You would think that in, a, in love and appreciation for their brethren, they would say, you can just stay here. There's plenty of room, there's plenty of job opportunities, and all that, you can stay here but they didn't. They refused to let them stay, and they forced them to go back to that land and gather around the young nation of Israel and live there, and they became refugees living in miserable circumstances. At that time, there was also another refugee problem. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were forced to leave the Arab nations where they had lived for centuries. I mean, these were Jews living in these Arab nations. They had been there for centuries, and now the Arab nations are, they won't let their own, their Arabs stay in there, and they force them back to uh, the Palestine area, but they make the Jews leave, and they force them out. Well, those people met a different uh, fate, and that is they found the nation Israel with open arms saying, you can come back here. And you can settle here. And many of, those, many of those did. So from 1948 to 1967, Jerusalem remained divided. An Israeli part and a Jordanian part. By early June 1967, three Arab nations decided they were going to attack Israel again. It was Egypt, Jordan, and Syria. They moved large military forces to order to uh, Israel's borders. Then on June the 5th, 1967, began what is known now as the Six-Day War. On the, on the 7th of June, uh, Israel captured from Jordan the eastern half of Jerusalem. But in kindness, really, to the Muslims, the Israeli government granted complete authority of the Temple Mount to the, of the, Temple Mount to the Muslim religious leaders in Israel. And that policy continues even today. Uh, my wife and I have been to Israel twice, and I used to think, you know, if I go to Israel, I'd like to walk up on Calvary. But you couldn't do that. Why? It's Muslim-controlled, and they won't let you. And so if you think you're going to go to Israel and walk up the hill where Jesus died, 
Uh, you can't do that unless they've changed it just recently, and I doubt that very much. The state of Israel has proved from its, from its uh, conception in 1947 that it desires to live in peace. It does not desire to uh, attack everyone around them. It just desires to live in peace. In 1978, Israel gave uh, the Sinai Peninsula back to Egypt because Egypt signed a peace agreement with them. In the year 2000, Israel agreed to give the Palestinians a state which included much of the West Bank and, and, and Gaza. If only they would recognize Israel as a state and agree to live in peace among them. The Arabs, the Palestinians, rejected that offer. Today, there are 22 Arab states in the world and only one Jewish state. Why wouldn't the Arabs agree to recognize Israel as a state and agree to live in peace? Why is that? Well, let's go to the Bible and see if we can find the reason. And I know that we surely can. In order to do that, we have to go back in the Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 16. In that place, it tells us about Abraham and Sarah They weren't able to have a child or hadn't had a child yet. And so Abraham was a little impatient, but Sarah was probably more impatient. So Sarah said to Abraham, why don't you go in into my my handmaid from Egypt, Hagar? And she will bear a son, and will be considered our son because she's my handmaid. And that wasn't right, but that's what she did. And so Abraham agreed, and he did that, and she conceived and bear a son. The moment she conceived, Sarah got upset. She started treating her badly. And she, because of that, decided she was going to have to leave. And so she left. And she was crying. And the Lord met her and said, you're going to have a child, a son, and you are to call his name Ishmael. We find this in Genesis 16, verses 11 and 12. And he says, he shall be a wild man. And the word wild man means wild donkey. He'll be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand will be against him. In Genesis chapter 21, verse 9, we find in the meantime, or after that, that Sarah did conceive and bear a son many years later. I think it was about 13 years later. And uh, she had a son. His name was Isaac. And the Bible said and that, uh, they, that Sarah said we should cast out the bondwoman and her son. In uh, verse 12 of chapter 21, it says that Isaac, uh, the Lord said that, that, uh, to uh, Abraham that in Isaac thy seed shall be called. So not in Ishmael, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And in verse 13, it says, the son of the woman, the Lord said, the son of the woman, of the son of the woman, I will make a great nation. And then in chapter 21, verse 21, it says, Ishmael, because the bondwoman Hagar was cast out with her son, that uh, she thought he was going to die, but the Lord intervened and he was okay. And the Bible says he grew up and married an Egyptian woman. And we wonder, where did the Arabs come from? That's where the Arabs came from. The Arabs are descendant from Ishmael. 
and uh, the child of Hagar, the Egyptian. That's where all the Arab population came from. So there has been a conflict between the Jews and the Arabs ever since that time. Jesus, the Savior of the world, also came from Israel, came from, uh, well, the Bible says, you know, there was Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons, and that turned into 12 tribes, and from the tribe of Judah came Jesus. So Jesus is a Jew. Humanly speaking, he's the God-man, but humanly speaking, he is a Jew. He was born a Jew. And so the Muslims, of course, and the Arabs don't like that. They don't like that Jesus might be special, and so they reject him. But more than that, Satan is opposed to God and his plan. So anything that God is doing, God said, in Isaac thy seed shall be called, and so God's going to work through Isaac. He's not going to work through Ishmael. God's going to work through the Jewish people, not the Arab people. And God's going to do some special things uh, through, through them. And uh, time progressed. As, uh, as time went on, then Satan figured out that, hey, it must through, be through these tribes of, Jew, of, of Israel that, that uh, God's going to send this promised one. You remember in Genesis 3.15, God promised the devil. He says, the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. Now, that's the devil uh, backing up the serpent, you know, in the garden. And so he's talking to the devil, and he says, the seed of the woman's going to bruise your head. Now, Satan has his mind, well, I'm going to have to do something about that. And through the years, he, he figured it out that it must be the children of Israel. They're his special people. And so he begins to attack them. So what we saw the other day is nothing new. Satan attacks Israel, and he's been doing it for a long time. It began probably back in, in the time when the children of Israel were in Egypt. And the Bible says that Pharaoh saw that the children of Israel were, were uh, multiplying. And it wasn't going to be long, there'd be more of them uh, than it was, they were of, the, of, the, of uh, the Egyptians. And so he says, I've got to do something about it. I think behind that was the devil. And the devil was realizing, look, this is God's people. I'm going to have to do something because he's planning to bruise my head. And so he begins to attack. And Pharaoh comes up with the suggestion. He says, what we're going to do is I'm going to talk to all the midwives who helped the women as they were giving birth, and I'm going to tell them, and he did, he told them, he says in Exodus 1, verse 16, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. Well, that didn't work because the midwives just couldn't bring themselves to do what he told them to do. And so then he makes a decree to all the people. And in Exodus 1, he says to all the people, every son that is born ye shall cast into the river. Well, it didn't, all, it didn't work the way he wanted it to. He didn't destroy everyone. You remember Moses came from that, and uh, Moses became the leader of the children of Israel. So Satan lost in that sense, but he did destroy a lot of kids. And then another example is in the book of Esther. And it's a man by the name of, of uh, Haman. And Haman made an attempt to kill all the Jews. And uh, I'm going to read that to you. 
in uh, the book of Esther, chapter 3, and it says this. And here's Haman's plan. It says, In the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king, king's ring, and the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to, to kill, to kill, to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for prey. He said, I have a plan. Let's kill all of them. And so in that area, Haman had the desire to kill all of them. Who was behind Haman? It was the devil. Satan was doing that. Satan was attacking Israel. And then we find another account in the book of Matthew. It's when Jesus was, going to, was being born. And uh, the Bible says that uh, Herod found out that Jesus had been born. And in, in Matthew chapter 2, we read the account. And uh, Herod decides that I'm going to have to do something about this person that's promised because he said, they say he's going to be the king of Israel. And Herod was the king of Israel. And so he says, I want no competition. So and, and Satan was causing him to do this. And it says in chapter 2, verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men and was exceeding wroth, and he sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which is spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, in Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. What did Satan do? Let me remind you, it shouldn't surprise us that Hamas goes in and rapes women and kills people of all ages, young and old, and even beheads little babies. And, and uh, all these terrible things shouldn't surprise us because he's the same one that had Herod say, all the babies, not just the boys, all the babies, two years old and under, kill them. And the Bible says it happened. And, God, and, and Joseph was warned in a dream, so he fled with Jesus. And, but uh, he killed all those babies. Why? Trying to get at Christ. And so it's not surprising that the devil does this. I've entitled the message this morning, Satan's Attack on Israel. You see, I believe that Satan has been attacking Israel for thousands of years, whether it's been through Pharaoh, Haman, Herod, Israel's War of Independence in 1947, the Six-Day War in 1967, the Yom Kippur War in 1973, or many other conflicts that there have been and today's Israel-Hamas war, Satan is behind it all. Satan attacks Israel. Satan's been hot behind all of it because he hates Israel. He hates God, and he hates the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now, there could be many more times when Satan attacks Israel. We don't know what's going to happen, except I do know about the final time he attacks Israel. So there might be many more, and maybe there won't be. Maybe God is allowing the stage to be set for what's coming uh, at, during the tribulation period. But we don't know if there are going to be attacks or not. 
uh, more attacks or not. But I do know this. There's going to be a final one, and that's recorded in Revelation 16, which we read a while ago. And that's called the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Now, to understand that, we need to understand what's to come in Scripture, what's prophesied yet. The first prophesied event that we know is going to happen, and that is the rapture of the church. The Bible teaches, I believe very plainly, that there's coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to come. He's not going to come to this earth. He's going to come in the air. And at that time, he's going to call out all people who are truly saved. And we call it the rapture. The Bible says that Jesus is going to come, the, the voice of the trumpet's going to sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Not to meet the Lord on the earth, but to meet the Lord in the air. That's the next prophesied event. It could take place before I finish preaching. It could take place just any time. The stage is seemingly set for that to happen. And when that does, if you're saved, you will be gone. If you're not saved, you'll look around and say, where did everybody go? And you'll know Jesus came and you were left behind. But that's the next event that's going to take place. Following that event, not too long after that event, is going to begin what we call the seven-year tribulation period it's mentioned in the book of Revelation. It's made up of 21 judgments, seven sealed judge, seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven vile or bold judgments. And those are coming. That's yet in the future. During this terrible time called the tribulation, it's interesting that in the Bible, there is seemingly no evidence that the United States is in existence. There's nothing that would say that, oh, that's the United States. And as prominent as we are now, you wonder, what happened to the United States? I just believe that during that time, the United States not, is not that prominent a nation anymore. And uh, because of its decline, it's gotten worse, and it's not uh, that prominent anymore. At the beginning of this time, the Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel for one week. We're told that in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27. At the beginning of that one week, uh, uh, that prophetic week, which is seven years, uh, at the beginning of that time, uh, there's going to be a covenant made with Israel. The Antichrist will covenant with Israel and say, I will protect you. You don't have to worry. I will take care of you. Now, let me ask you this. I want you to think about this in your mind. Up until last Saturday, would you, thought, would you have thought that Israel would make an agreement with a world leader? I mean, they're, they're pretty self-sufficient. They're taking care of themselves. They're protecting themselves. And time after time after time when they've been attacked, they've been, they defeated the enemy. Would you have thought that Israel would say, okay, we'll just leave all of our defense up to you and we'll rest because you're going to take care of us? Now, I don't think they would have. But after last Saturday, and this war is not over, and I'm not saying this will happen because I don't know. But if it continues, it gets worse and worse and worse. It could very well be that this is the beginning 
of breaking down Israel to where they'll finally say, yes, we will agree. Because you see, if the present-day conflict escalates and nations do not stand with Israel and the United States does not have the means or the willpower to stand with Israel, which they're talking a good game right now, but all over the nation they're rising up in rebellion against it and saying, don't support Israel. And if we as a nation come to the place where we won't or can't support them, and then right at that time, the Lord takes us home. Millions of people vanish in the United States. The salt of the earth is gone. The light of the world is gone because that's what Jesus calls us. And he's taken us out, and it just changes the whole atmosphere of everything. And if they've been against Israel before this, and with, with the church being gone and not holding back that tide, then it could just go very quickly. And all of a sudden, Israel realized, we need help and nobody to help us. And then this guy called the Antichrist over in Europe is rising to strength. And he's very coming prominent, and he's so much strength. And, and people are following him. And he says to Israel, I understand your plight. And I will guarantee that our, our forces, we will help you. We'll stand with you. We'll not let them attack you. You can trust us. And he makes a pact with them. That could very well help it happen. And if it does, this would be the last time before the actual last time that Israel is attacked. And that last time is, is coming. After three and a half years of the tribulation period, so it starts with that covenant with Israel. And after three and a half years, the Antichrist, the Bible says, will break that covenant with Israel. Daniel 9, verse 27. And he'll cause, us, cause Israel's temple worship to stop. Because during the tribulation period, some way they're going to have temple worship again. So they must be able to rebuild the temple and uh, they're having temple worship again. And the Antichrist is saying, that's good, I'm going to let you do that. But then after three and a half years, he breaks that covenant, and he causes the temple worship to cease, and he sets himself up in the temple and demands that people worship him. Wow. That's going to happen. Matthew 25, verse four, chapter 24, verse 15. Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. And at that time, at the middle of the tribulation period, Satan will be cast out of heaven. Now, I know he was cast out a long time ago, but he still has access in that he comes before the Lord and he accuses the brethren. And I don't know just how much access, but he has, he's able to move in the heavenlies that way. And the Bible says at the middle of the tribulation period, the Lord's going to cast him out of heaven. And it says he'll come down to the earth in great wrath. Turn back to Revelation chapter 12, and we'll look at this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels. The dragon is the devil. And prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in, in heaven. 
And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now it's only logical to assume that when the devil is cast out of heaven, and he's very angry. Guess who he might be angry with? Well, we don't have to guess because the Bible tells us that he turns his fury to Israel. Look at verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. That's Israel. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out his mouth, out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, and he, he might, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Yes, the devil turns his wrath toward the children of Israel. Many of them, I think, have, will trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they're going to really come to know the Lord a little bit later. Well, this will culminate when he, call, when he will call the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather to the battle of the great God Almighty. And we read that in Revelation chapter 16. Now it seems from the book of Zechariah, and if you'll turn back with me to Zechariah, Zechariah is a great book that talks uh, prophetic things. In Zechariah chapter 14, it says this, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. All nations against Jerusalem to battle. You see, all these nations gathered by the devil because he's against them, says you'll gather all, and yet behind the scenes, it's the Lord causing this to happen. He gathers them together. I will gather all nations against Israel, to Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So many Jews... In this last battle, this last attack on, on Israel are going to be killed. And the Bible says that they're going to uh, experience such, such uh, horrific things. And the women will be ravished. And the houses rifled. And kill, people killed. And then what will take place? Jesus will come. Look at uh, Zechariah chapter four, 14 again. Verse 3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight the, those nations, and, 
as when he went forth in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the valley shall, of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And, uh, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Zael. Yea, there shall flee like as he fled from the day of the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God, and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with him. And so, at the time when the Antichrist and Satan himself is turning his wrath against the children of Israel at their city, Jerusalem. At that time, when they're killing all these people and so many of them die, that's the last battle, the last attack on Israel because the Bible says Jesus is going to come. Now, keep your finger there, but turn back with me again to Zechariah 14. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof. So at that time, Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to set his feet upon the Mount of Olives, and it's going to cleave. And he's coming back to do battle. Well, let's look at the battle. We go back to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. You're familiar with the passage. It says in verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and him that sat on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written which no man knew but he himself. And he was, dipped his, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in white linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he might smite the nations, and shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so Jesus is coming back. Now let me give you some details of what's going to happen when he, goes, when he comes, uh, we go back to the book of Zechariah 14, uh, verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. The day is coming when Jesus is going to rule on this earth. Not a new earth. We're talking about this earth right now. He's going to rule for a thousand years. But when he comes, he's going to set himself up as king, and the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to, to, to Remsen, south of Jerusalem, and shall be lifted up and inhabit their place when Benjamin's gate, uh, from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananiel, unto the king's winepress. And men shall dwell in, in it, and there shall be no more uh, utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited." And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. 
And it shall come to pass in that day that the great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one his hand to his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel and great abundance. And so shall the plague be of the, of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, and of the ass, and of all the beasts that shall be in, those t- in the tents in the, in, uh, as, they, as this plague. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and, and to keep the feast of the tabernacles. It says this, God's going to win. Aren't you glad of that? The Lord's going to win. Satan attacks Israel. He's attacked her over and over and over again. But always, God wins. From all this, we learn that God made Abraham from, uh, made from Abraham the Jewish people. They are special to him because through them came the word of God. Most of the word of God was written by Jews. And also, through them came Jesus. God, blessed the, God says in Genesis 12, verse 3, He will bless those who bless them, and He will curse those who curse them. I would hate to be one of those standing in the streets or the universities of, of America today in demonstration against Israel and supporting the, bloodless people, the, the bloodthirsty people called Hamas. God says, I will curse them that curse thee. Satan is no match for God. We see it over and over again. Satan is a defeated foe, and all who follow him will lose for eternity. And Satan hates Jews, Satan hates the Bible, and Satan hates Jesus. I would sure hate to be on the side of Satan because he's a loser. We can be sure that Satan can read the Bible, and he knows it probably better than you do. He knows It tells of his demise and that he will be cast into the lake of fire. The Bible clearly tells that. He is going to fight against God as long as he can, and he will do his best to convince you to do the same. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 that that the devil deceives people, and he doesn't want them to understand the gospel. And he blinds their eyes so that they won't understand. Why does he do that? Because he wants you to be condemned the same way he is. He's no friend of God. And he doesn't want you to be either. So what do you do? Well, make sure that you've responded to the gospel. The Bible says the gospel is this. You are a sinner. You're lost, condemned. You deserve to go to hell. And you're not good enough to go to heaven, none of you. But God realizes that and realized that, and from heaven he sent his son Jesus. And he came to this earth for the purpose of dying for your sins on the cross. He became your substitute. You should have died for your sins, but he says, I will take your punishment. And he took your punishment on the cross of Calvary. He bled and died for you. He was separated from God for you. He took all of it, and when he died, he said this, it's finished. That means I've paid it all, paid in full. And then they buried him and put him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the grave. He's alive. That resurrection is proof that it was all paid for. 
Uh, death couldn't hold him. The punishment for sin couldn't hold him. It's all paid. It's paid in full. And so he rose from the grave to prove that's true. Now, what are you supposed to do? Well, the Bible says you're supposed to hear that gospel, and you have. You've heard it many times probably, and if not, you heard it today. And you're then, then to come to the Lord in repentance, and that means that you have a change of mind about God and yourself, and uh, you know that you're a sinner. You know you don't deserve to get, go to heaven. There's no more to this saying, oh, I'm better than that guy. I think I'll go to heaven because I've done so many good things. No, you won't go to heaven that way. There's no way to get to heaven that way. So you have a change of mind about who you are, and you come to the Lord, and you say, Lord, I am a sinner. I'm sorry about that. And I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's a real change of your mind. And then you put your faith in what Jesus did. If somebody says, why do you think you're going to go heaven? go to heaven, you won't even think about saying, because I did this and I did that, or I'm good or I'm better. No, you won't even think about that. You say, the only reason I'm going to heaven is because I'm trusting what Jesus did for me, and he paid everything, and I'm trusting him. And you put your faith in the Lord and the Bible says your response in doing that is you call out to the Lord. Whosoever shall call on the Lord shall be saved. And he'll, he'll save your soul. He'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll make you a child of God. And he'll make you a winner throughout all eternity because you've trusted Jesus. And what will happen when that takes place? Well, let me tell you one thing that will happen. You'll rejoice. <laughs> I've seen people saved, a lot of people saved, and, uh, you know, it happens different ways. Their emotions are different. But one thing about a person who's truly saved is they're happy about it. I mean, sins forgiven, all these things they thought they might have to explain to God or they might have to tell God, oh, I've done more good things than bad things. All of that's gone, and they now realize I'm saved. God's forgiven me of all my sins, past, present, and future. He's forgiven me. And you'll rejoice. Let me tell you something else will happen. The Bible says there'll be rejoicing in heaven. I mean, here in Morrow, outside of Morrow and Hyatt, I tell people, you know, from, we're from Morrow. Our church, Morrow's a small town. Our church is located five miles outside of it. It's out in the country. You know, not too many people know about this church. And probably not too many people know about you. Not people in the world, but God does. And the Bible says when you, even though most people won't know anything about it, when you trust Jesus as your Savior, they'll be rejoicing in heaven. So you'll be happy because of all that God's done for you. Heaven will be happy, but let me tell you something else. Satan will be mad. He'll be mad. He lost another one. Just like he's been doing battle after battle, after battle. He loses. This recent war, he's going to lose. One way or another, he's going to lose. He won't come out the victor because the Bible says he'll be cast into the lake of fire. Let me ask you this. Who are you following? Are you following the victor, Jesus? Or are you following the one who hates you, Satan? I'd hate to follow him. He is a loser. And if you follow him, you'll be a loser throughout all eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you today.
that when we face wars, especially a war like this where your chosen people who really haven't come to you in belief yet, most of them are unbelievers, but you have a purpose for them. In a war like this, when we know Satan attacks the very special people of God, it's, it's tempting, Lord, to be discouraged about it. But we thank you that when we know the scripture, we can be glad because this could be very, very well be one of the last battles that Satan fights against Israel. But we do know this. There's coming a last one. And he's going to lose. We thank you for that. Help us never to be on the losing side. If there's somebody here today who's never trusted Jesus, may today be the day they put their faith in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.